Ignore your clocks, because wherever you are, it's CMO Combo time, which means it's time to dig into another conversation on the big things you need to know about marketing. And there are a few things bigger than today's conversation with Rob Wiley, CMO of Cherry Bundy and operating partner ML Capital, as we're talking about how challenger brands can compete against titans of their industries. Beat them at their own game or change the playing field. Rob's got plenty of insights to share, so listen on. Hi, Rob. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? Oh, great. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us because it's a, it's, a, it's a conversation that needs to be talked about quite a lot. And that's sort of like competing with the big boys in terms of brands. Like, there are obviously going to be times as a CMO, whether in the B2B or B2C um, world, that you're going to be competing against Goliath. It's going to be competing against big name recognition brands. But before we do get onto that, Rob, um, maybe you could tell us a bit about yourself. Um, why are you speaking today and why you thought it was important to speak to us about the subject today? Sure. So I'm Rob Willey. I'm the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer of Chair Bundy. I'm also uh, an operating partner at Emil Capital. Um, today, I have this conversation from Portland, Oregon, which is the headquarters of Chair Bundy um, and where I spend 50% of my time with the other 50 in New York City. So, uh, you know, I've spent most of my career you know, frankly, um, at startups, fighting the fight that we're going to talk about today, which is, you know, battling industry giants, trying to do things differently, uh, you know, either pave the way or follow the way well paved by many, many challenger brands that have come before me, uh, trying to find a way to do things differently. And um, I would like to believe that I've done it somewhat successfully, but I think there's a new way to go to market. And I think there's a bunch of young, brave brands doing it today. Definitely, definitely. So let's um, let's give a bit of context before we dive into our discussion. Um, so, um, Cherry Bundy, who are the big competitors? Who are the big names that you're competing with? So Cherry Bundy is a sports nutrition company uh, founded on the premise of Power of Tart Cherries. And Power of Tart Cherries have a history that is scientifically proven around recovery. So anti-inflammation and better sleep all naturally provided by just simply a fruit that comes from the ground, is born from a tree and is harvested in states like Utah and Michigan every day, every year of the calendar. And what that means is though, is that we live in an aisle, we live in a space that is very much uh, at one point monopolized and now heavily, um, I would say marketed in with Gatorade, with body armor, with muscle milk, uh, with drinks that are owned by, of course, the two huge beverage companies in this world, which are Pepsi and Coke. So we compete with those well-funded, scientifically made drinks every day uh, in order to fight for not just market share, but um, share voice, um, having a point of view. And so they, much like the entire beverage aisle, frankly, uh, have a lot more shelf space, a lot more marketing dollars and frankly, a lot more history than uh, than the brand sector body. Yeah, I mean, there's there's few Goliaths bigger to go up against as a David than Coca Cola. Like, how do you compete with that? Like, surely you can't be looking to uh, beat them at their own game because they can just blow you out the water with just throwing money at the problem at the end of the day. Like, what what is your outlook for how you're going to take down these giants? Well, I think that the interesting, I'd say, you know hypothesis that startups, young brands in the food and beverage space, but particularly for us in the beverage space today, have to start with 
why is my product better? And because I think simply just trying to obviously outmarket them is 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 probably a recipe for disaster. And um, you have to find gaps in the market or products or innovation that you know really truly are fundamentally different and better than the products that say they make or that consumers are asking for. And I think that's the interesting starting point that big companies don't generally start with, right? They start with innovation as to what can we make better, cheaper, faster from our existing supply chain, you know, versus what do consumers really want? And if you start with what consumers really want, you start in a space that has things like culture and trend and interesting conversations that happen across, you know, dinner tables and on, you know, social media in places that you can sort of like call it harvest or listen, you know, for interesting ideas. And I think, you know, well, you have these conversations with people, CMOs and others, leaders, corporate leaders all the time, which is like, they're trying to have a crystal ball and see what the future will hold. And in particular for challenger brands, that's where you have to start. Particularly for startups, they're trying to do new things. They're trying to go fast, break things, whatever. In that regard, like they have to have a North Star that says this, I believe this will happen. And if you say, I believe this will happen because consumers are talking about it, I feel like you have a really interesting starting point. So start there. And then you say, okay, well, what can we do differently versus and uh, you know a Goliath, an industry titan, you know a global brand, and combine those two things, and maybe you got a shot, right? And I think so. If you start with what are consumers are talking about, and then you move into okay, you know, particularly in the sports hydration or sports nutrition space, you definitely have this conversation that's been going on for some time, which is what is the marketing of sport versus the sport of marketing, and Typically, the really large brands love the sport of marketing, right? It's funded, it's well-funded, it looks sexy, you know, it's everywhere if they choose it to be, and it's advertising. And I'm not sure about you, but I really dislike advertising. Like, <laughs> at every, almost at every point in my life, I try to scroll past it, I try to skip it, I try to avoid it. And yet, the large brands are really good at it. And so you say, okay, listen, for us at ShareBundy, we are really interested in a conversation on ingredients. And ingredients matter. I think we know that. I think it's weird to even have to say that out loud. And yet, we do. We have to talk about it. You have to look at social media, and you see people are talking about what's in their food. Food as medicine. You know, what are they drinking? What are people consuming? And to have that conversation, it feels weird to me, even also a wrong strategy to do it through an advertisement. Like, why do I have to advertise that ingredients matter? I shouldn't have to do that. And so we are much more interested in the marketing of sport, which is partner with athletes, partner with dietitians, partner with people who can talk about sugar who can educate people, provide value. And if we can do that long enough, frequently enough, then I believe it might be a slower strategy, frankly, but it does pay off in things like retention, loyalty, membership or subscribers, 
it pays off in essentially, you know, lifetime value. If you want to use, you know, the unit economics of, of growth, right? And we think those things are better. So that's a really long answer to your question, but that's the two ways we see it is we believe in education, we believe in adding value, we believe in having a meaningful conversation around ingredients to begin with, and then we let things take their course. And then building sort of your marketing strategy around these values has got to be, it's got to be very important right now. Um, there's a lot of research being done into the importance of having shared brand values with your with your customers how important that is particularly in sort of the millennial and gen z markets like is that something that you've intentionally gone after with that with that with this approach or is it something that's just come about through uh through happenstance through coincidence kind of thing you know purpose is an interesting thing to talk about because I, i'm not sure that you can invent it. Um, and so as an operator, as someone who frankly joined the company in its later stage of life, right? So, you know, Cherubundi has been around for nearly 20 years, right? It's, you know, a 20 year overnight success as far as I'm concerned. And adding bolting purpose on at any point in time feels you know, manufactured. So I don't want to say I showed up and said, hey, let's devise some millennial purpose and start talking about it. The purpose of the brand has always been there, which is great. You know, the people who have talked about it at the company has changed. And that's just me being super candid. Like, you know, the evolution of Cherubundi and in fact, many, many startups as leadership changes happen along the way. And that's absolutely normal. When I got to the company, nearly three years ago, right? The company had a bunch of science. It was well positioned in terms of anti-inflammation and uh, sleep. Uh, the power of tart cherries was scientifically proven. It was no longer in doubt. And yet the company had, frankly, a strategy that they were leaning into advertising. You know, we had named a college football bowl game we had deals with ESPN. We had uh, a bunch of partnerships that were high dollar, frankly, in my opinion, lower value, um, that were trying to actually emulate the Gatorade strategy, the, the big company strategy. And of course, they, you know, the intentions, the strategy, I think even the purpose was there. It just, you know, we couldn't scream loud enough. And so I was handed a lot of those things that were already in place. What I decided to do was a different marketing strategy for those. And that was this idea around education. So uh, I didn't change the strategy. I just executed it differently. And where that has come to fruition is, you know, we now have athlete investors in the company. We have a huge ambassador program, which we call the Pit Crew which is a cute name on obviously with cherries, but nonetheless, it is, it is the engine that runs our marketing. We hand the messaging, we partner with people. The way we say it is we didn't choose them, they chose us. So we just went to people that were already drinking the juice. In fact, you know, the, the most recent innovation we have is concentrate, right? It's a 
two ounce foil pack pouch of concentrated tart cherry juice that has nearly the same benefits as an eight ounce bottle of juice. It's just easier, faster way to consume it on the go. And where that came from wasn't inside the company like I started with. It wasn't me saying, hey, we need to create this. This tart cherry juice product that's easy. It's, you know, concentrates are a thing. They already exist in the market. Sports Nutrition has them in spades. We need that. It actually was our nearly, so we have four, nearly 400 collegiate and professional teams that order our product every month, right? So every, and I know you're in London, so we're not quite yet to soccer or football <laughs> clubs, but nonetheless, like every Power Five conference team here in the U.S., every NFL team, like every major sport that you watch on a Saturday or Sunday is buying our product. And in doing so, we have obviously a huge relationship with sports in general, but with direct relationships from registered dietitians at these teams. And they order our product directly from our sports sales team. So when we started having these conversations, they came to us and they're like, hey, one of our issues is it's really hard to ship juice to road games. It's hard to put it on a bus because it's also a lot of bottles. It's heavy. NFL teams have huge rosters. That's a lot of juice. Not only that, they're like, can you ship it to our road games? That's heavy. It's a lot of juice to ship in the mail. So we said, oh, okay. And they're like, listen, we would love for you to make a concentrate. Concentrates go in smoothies. We have fueling stations. It's easy for us to give our athletes and their backpacks and their bags to consume post-workout. Can you think about making that? And the, the truth of the answer is we said, yes. This is someone who is on the absolute end, like cusp of trend. Registered dietitians at these teams, like they live and breathe nutrition. So we said, sure, let's see if we can do it. Six months later, we had to concentrate and we had a product that they could use that was high efficacy, easy to travel with, met their needs. And thankfully they bought it in spades. And so innovation started there. Now you work back that now consumers are seeing it and they also like it too. And so consumers have followed, you know, trend spotters, which are frankly the athletes. And that's where we have taken this company is into the hands of athletes, dietitians. We call, you know, our everyday consumer and health a health and wellness athlete, someone that you and me probably are every day, right? Like we work out pretty frequently. We care about what we put in our mouths. We're pretty wellness minded. We understand that nutrition is a big thing, like that kind of stuff. And I think, I know there are millions of people in the U.S. alone that are just like me. And so, like I said, I try to be a human about all these things, not just an executive. When we think about not just innovation, but also how to market these products, who they're really for. And at the end of the day, you know, that's the way that I've pivoted the strategy and moved our execution into putting it in the hands of what we would say is experts, influencers, people of interest that frankly are partners of ours more than they are just paid spokespeople. It sounds to me like you're building quite a, a, a community with this, uh, with the, the partnership program, with the ambassador program. Is that something that you were intentionally setting out to do with this program or is it something that's sort of come about? as a result of just you know, the love of the product kind of thing? You know, I don't think there are two more used, maybe overused words in the world of marketing today than purpose and community, right? <laughs> like, 
like if I had a dollar for any and every company that are trying to build those things. And, you know, there are some companies that have clearly done amazing jobs of building really powerful communities uh, based on a love of their products, oftentimes based on a founder story, you know, like those things connect with people. And we at ShareBunny talk a lot about like trying to be human as a brand. The way we talk on social media, the way that we value our consumers, you know, us just being honest. And when you do that, I think you naturally attract, just like any good human does, friends, fans of the brand. And in doing so, we have been able to, yes, build, we call it an army of all natural ambassadors, you know, uh, countless people who uh, post in social media, advocate for our products, talk to us consistently on an ongoing basis. And just by function of us being that way, yes, we have built a really powerful community. And, and, and the funny thing that happens when we've done that is we've built a multi-million dollar D2C business because of it. People who love to wear, you know, I'm wearing a hat right now that says, you know, beast of habit, right? It's a chair bunny hat. People who love to wear hats, love to wear our swag, our merch. You know, we have a merch shop now because people wanted to find out where they could get our hoodies or our socks. And that's amazing. You know, that's, that's simply because one, I think we're a brand that people want to be associated to, but two, because we made things people want to wear, right? We didn't make cheap t-shirts. Like we made interesting stuff. And again, that's, that's kind of the, that is not kind of, that is not just the relationship, but the philosophy that we as a brand have taken. And we can do that because, you know, even as CMO, like I'm in it every day. And the big companies have so much more to manage that it's hard for them to be intimately involved in all this stuff. So there's, I don't want to say a lack of care because I think these brands are amazing brands. They clearly have built huge industries and many of them were first. So they went through this themselves. But when you're that big, it's hard to be that connected. And we, we, we take that as an, uh, as an opportunity for us to have meaningful conversations that hopefully over time, yeah, generate real community among our consumers. Now, I suppose as well, the approach to swag is kind of a, a reflection of your consumers. If they're of quite a discerning taste, if they care about the, the stuff they're putting in their bodies, they're going to care about what they put on their put on their bodies as well. So if you're putting out poor quality merchandise with a high quality product, there's going to be a disconnect. It's going to make your brand look worse. So keeping things on that same level all the way through shows that you are really understanding your customers, I suppose. Being to try, right? Um, you know, our job as marketers, particularly with consumers, is to really, you know, think about every touch point and to really be thoughtful about the way that we are. Also, you know, we also understand the world is, you know, specifically the trend out around billboard branding, mm -hmm. right? And, and so many people wear badge brands. And we've talked about our product, oddly enough, as an accessory, right? We want to be a recovery accessory. And you know, we want your product, our product in your hands the moment you're done working now. And 
the interesting thing is, especially COVID has impact is whether, you know, whether you work or work out all day, everyone needs to recover. You know, whether you have a back soreness because you're sitting in this chair all day long working, or you're actually, you know, putting time into gym on a consistent basis, you're running outside, which many, many, many people did during COVID, like inflammation is a thing. Also, you know, people have anxiety now more than ever. And sleep is also a really, really important, you know, part of recovery. And so we think, we believe that, you know, tartary juice is having a moment because of all of these things that are sort of bubbling up. And when we see ourselves as an accessory, we also need to see ourselves as someone that, yes, you want to badge and wear and be proud of. So how do we do that in a way that, you know, makes merch something that says something about you? And, and again, yeah, I agree with you. Like, you know, at every touch point, you know, quality matters. And so we try to be thoughtful about this as best and as much as a little company can. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm, I'm really loving the approach that you've taken, Rob. It sounds fantastic. Let's roll things back to when you, when you first joined Cherry Bundy. Um, when you were developing this approach, were there any potential roadblocks that were preventing you from taking this approach? Were there anything, any kind of resistances within stakeholders that you had to navigate? Like, were people quite happy with the, the marketing strategy as it was? And like, you don't have to name any specific names if you don't want to, but I'd just be interested to know about like kind of the practicalities you went through sort of taking this approach. Yeah, it's a good question because it's a hard strategy to convince investors. <laughs> Uh, given that it tends to be a little slower, a little harder to measure, and a little bit more expensive. And the three things they definitely don't want to hear. The three things. Yeah. You're dead on arrival. If you walk in the door, usually on day one, and say, this is my strategy. Hard to measure, slow, and expensive? Uh, it's going to be a tough one. And so the first thing that I knew we needed to do when I arrived was get some early wins. Like we, we needed to showcase that honestly, that there was potential in jumpstarting uh, what would become uh, an online strategy, right? And so the, where we started was we looked at the, no pun intended, low hanging fruit of <laughs> Amazon. We knew we had to jumpstart e-commerce like tomorrow. Yeah. And the company, one of the biggest things the company handed me was two biggest things. One is when I got here, there was nearly 250 teams, collegiate professionals that were the product. So, you know, today we're nearly at 400. We've grown that substantially in, you know, two and a half, three years. And then that was, that was the diamond in the rough. That was the reason to believe that this product actually did what we said it was doing. Because if teams order it, there is no bigger credential than the most powerful, biggest, successful heritage teams in America. Order your product every month. They can order any product and they order yours. That means that they truly believe in it. And there is no one more skeptical than a registered dietitian at these teams. I talk to them. I've met them multiple times. I know many of them personally. They get marketed to every product under the sun. So they do their homework. 
And they said, yes, your product works. I said, okay, this product must be amazing. I'd never heard of it. So it was new to me too. I came to this company as skeptical as anyone. And I said, oh, wow, this really works. The other thing is that we were in 20,000 stores nationwide, over 50,000 touch points offline. Every major retailer in America carries Cherubundi. And I said, wow, if everyone, including, you know, Safeway, Apple, Walmart, Kroger, carry this product, sell this product, this business is legitimate. Like this isn't just a product that really works because the sports team says it does. It's also a real business. So we had this really nice starting point that the company had built over nearly at that point, 15 years. So I said, okay, where though can we get some early wins? Because you're right, we had to get some, we had to jumpstart the marketing program with knowing that I was going to ask investors to be a little patient. Education takes time. And from that, the very, the, the, to me, the obvious starting point was Amazon. We had this huge offline business and a pretty small Amazon business. And so I started there. And the nice thing about Amazon is that it is a little bit like, you know, performance marketing and that you can see growth pretty quickly based on their orders, but also based on velocities. And so we started to ramp up our Amazon spend. We started to do, we refreshed all of our PDPs. We rebuilt the storefront. We made sure all of our imagery online was cohesive. We updated all the copies. So the story around recovery was more clear. And within months, that business was doubling month over month. And so investors said, hey, that seems to be a thing. Do more of that. And so that created like I, that created this really nice example of like, listen, we got some early wins. This brand can thrive. It can work. Now, while we do that, guess what? We're going to refresh the look and feel. Behind the scenes, we're going to update. We're going to establish a stronger positioning. We're going to go through, you know, uh, you know, a little bit of refinement around our value prop, our look and feel. So we look and belong more clearly in sports nutrition. And we did that. And that showed progress too, because while we were growing Amazon, they were seeing new packaging. They were seeing new imagery. They were seeing new visuals that they were saying, yeah, that, that, that's, that's more clearly what I think we are. So there was validation, although it wasn't, more sales driven anywhere else other than Amazon, it was like, okay, there's progress. And I think one of the things that when you come to a new company and you, whether it be a new startup or you're just in your new role, like the idea of which I brought to this company is like, you have a hundred days. It's like becoming president, yeah. right? Like you got a hundred days. And in that hundred days, you need to put out very clear milestones to investors, to your executive team, to your people to say, this is what we're going to do and be very action oriented around small wins about testing and learning, allowing people to fail, allowing people to like, honestly take ownership and have their own ideas. And you get a hundred days and in a hundred days, if you've done even 80% of that list, you know, everyone should high five, go for happy hour because you've done more than probably the company's been doing in a while. And you're like, okay. And that's when I sat down and said, listen, here's, what we look like now, here's what we've proven is online is a huge vehicle of sales. Today, now Amazon is now the second largest customer in the business. So we've surpassed nearly everybody. 
in our offline footprint. The, the digital business, the online business is massive in terms of not only its importance, but its revenue at this company. And that took three years to build. But then we said, okay, how do we, how do we get there? And that was the conversation around education and how to have education and who needs to be the voice of education. And what we said very quickly is like, we have all these teams, we have all these dietitians, we need to give them a microphone. And we also have a bunch of people online who love our products. Why don't we talk to them? Why don't we send them free products? Why don't we pay some of them? And we started to do that. And what came back was like testimonial based content that really helped us obviously educate the masses, you know, be a better looking, better acting, real brand in social media. And that is where this sort of flywheel started to happen. It's like, well, that turned into a couple that turned into 10 that turned into 50 that turned into athlete investors. And that's where we got today, but that's a really long answer to your question. But, you know, we built it in a way that was very methodical, knowing that I needed to ensure that there were some short-term results. I, I would definitely not come in and build this really long-term strategy that is very slow to build and then make investors wait because they're not very, they're not very patient nor should they be, this is their money. And so you have to kind of, you know, you have to do both. You got to find a real near-term place of opportunity that has actual, you know, real business impact. And then behind the scenes, you got to do the things that, you know, you can set you up for a year from now. For sure, for sure. Like, um, yeah, you build that trust level up, which kind of gives you a bit more flexibility to push forward the activities that you really need to do. Um, so when it came to sort of building out this sort of education program, who are the important stakeholders within the company in different departments? I'm going to assume that the, your head of product would have been very important part of this, but what, who else, who are the, who are the other key, who are the key players are there in sort of building out this kind of program? Yeah, I think, you know, clearly if you're going to make things worth drinking that are different and better than the category, innovation, right, is a huge partner. You know, we, uh, more broadly operations in general, they got to be able to have a supply chain, one, that can make things worth making. Two, they got to be willing and flexible to change, right? Operations is hard. It's slow. It's expensive. And especially when you're in beverage, you know, their manufacturing is really challenged and no more than in, during, COVID, during COVID, right? So we were doing this all during COVID and, you know, trying to find new co-mans, trying to find different, you know, new structures, new bottles, trying to source ingredients, like all that stuff requires operations and innovation to really believe in the path the company has laid out. And so that's one, you got to have an executive team who believes in where the company is going and understands the pace by which it needs to get there. And without question, we have that. It's not perfect. It's not perfect because things break, things are hard. You know, some things aren't possible. You know, my job in this company is to definitely push. And in doing so, operations, innovation, they got to feel like there's a relationship there, that there's respect, but there's also alignment. 
And we start there. And those start early in conversations that we get on the same page. And by no means is that not done without conflict and candor. And that's okay, right? You know, coming from a place where you assume goodwill, generally you get to a place where everyone is aligned. They might not all agree, but they're aligned. And that's one. I think, you know, the second thing is you do need some people beyond the executive team who can own things. And where we got was we have some people in this company that also believe in what we're trying to do. And it's helpful. Like, by the way, so there's the, the largest, longest relay in America is called the Hood to Coast. It's actually here in Portland. It runs from the mountains in Portland to the beach in Oregon. It's a 36-hour race with 12 people done in two vans. Uh, it's an amazing race. You know, I was born and raised here in Portland. So I have seen this race since, you know, I was a kid. And over drinks one night at a happy hour, we conjured up this idea that, like, why don't we as a company run the Hood Coast? And none of us, well, a few of us are real runners. But most of us are just, you know, general health leads, right? Like a Peloton here, a few gym memberships there. Some of, the, some of our people love yoga, you know. But we started to say, okay, why don't we figure this out? Why don't we try to run the hood to coast? And, you know, the number one activity, by the way, of, of our health and of our consumer, from a standpoint of exercise is running. 80% of our consumers run regularly, which is a lot. And I didn't realize, you know, run clubs and again, COVID, I think probably amplified this a lot because people wanted space. They needed exercise. Outdoors was the only place to do it. Running just became, you know, one of the few options, frankly, that people had. And so we started to talk about that. Well, you know, fast forward nine months, we run the hood to coast next month. And all of us have been training now for six months. I never really ran at all, you know, and now... I'm running six, seven, eight miles. You know, I have the watch. I'm on Strava. Like we we're all now living and breathing all these sister companies, by the way, that we are in the fight with, you know, we're in the fight with calm the app, right. For, you know, self-care we're in the fight with hyperice massage gun. Like we are, we are a group of sibling companies that all believe in the power of recovery that are all fighting industry titans that are trying to set a new standard. And so what it did is it put us in the mindset, and my point is, of our people believing in what we were doing. And we, as me, as a leader, needed to do that with them. And so whether we're running the hood the coast or just trying to figure out how to build a DSC business that is hard, right? Like, you actually, they believe in what you're doing. And so all I had to do was let them loose and give them runway and a voice and challenge them. And they bought into that. They actually have defined more of our purpose and built more of a community than me as a marketer could have ever done. And so that's, those are the two aspects to answer your question. I think you need partnership on the innovation and operations front to really do new things, to fight industry titans, big companies that are slow, but big, and can outspend you, you got to be able to go fast and make things worth making. And that starts in innovations and operations. Then you got to have people, you know, who are operating their channels 
that really believe in what you're doing and have the, not just the responsibility, but some of the authority to fail. And when they do that, believe me, you hire the right people, they're going to get it right more than they get it wrong. And that's good enough. And so I, I think those two aspects are how I've tried to, you know, partner with the executive team and lead this company. Uh, now, like I said, you know, almost three years later, to get us to a place that believes and can win versus larger companies that have way more market share. Fantastic, Rob. I think that's a really, really great note to end on there. That was a very, very inspiring note. I love that. That was awesome. Um, good luck with the, the Hood to Coast next month. Um, it sounds, well, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be cooler than the weather is in the UK to run it because I would not want to run that distance in the weather we're experiencing right now. Um, but yeah, this has, been, this has been fantastic, Rob. Thank you very much for speaking to us today. It's, I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, and yeah, you'll have to let me know when Cherry Bundy makes it to the UK so I can sample the product for sure. Um, yeah. Um, well, it's coming. Uh, well, I will tell you this. It is coming to you very, very soon. That's without saying more, like within the, the calendar year, I think you will have Cherry Bundy in your hand. Fantastic. Fantastic. I look forward to sampling it for sure, because as you said, we all need to recover from everything these days, from the weather, from life in general yeah so looking forward to it rob um and thank you to our audience as well i'm sure they've very much enjoyed this conversation as i said every cmo is going to face a situation where they're competing against rivals who are bigger don't want to say stronger but wealthier than your brand so this conversation thing is going to be applicable to just about any industry you could possibly be in whether you're b2b b2c or even um or even B2G, even if you're uh, marketing governments and stuff like that. I think it's going to be an important thing to keep in mind. So thank you very much, Rob. Um, and we'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. <laughs> <laughs>